0: Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Once, I was seduced and driven by culture and all that it promised. I was willing to do anything for, well, me. In high school, I would make fun of Christians for their pathetic worldview and for their, for their close mindedness. I'd come up with my own philosophy of life, and I believe in doing whatever. I wanted. Happiness was the ultimate goal, a self-centered attempt to gain appeasement and goodness in my own eyes. And you know what? I enjoyed the freedom that I had given myself. Well, superficially. Because actually I was deeply, deeply empty, longing for something much, much greater. Then in February of 2007, Jesus found me, working at a club in the Lower East Side, and he showed me that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. That in him the abundant life is found not in the world and its deceptive so-called pleasures. Today I know that Christ alone brings fulfillment, joy, and the ultimate sense of purpose. And that purpose has become even clearer since Elizabeth and I started going here more than three and a half years ago. It's here that James took me under his wing and showed me what it really means to, to love people, to be a pastor, even the boring stuff. And Keith, through Sunday after Sunday expounds upon God's word and goads me not only to internalize the truth spoken, but to externalize them in our greater community through my daily life. And Beth, who got me up here today, and who's given Elizabeth confidence as a worship leader to overcome her fears and to unleash that amazing voice that often brings me to tears. And if that's not enough, it's here that I went through the process of ordination where I sat in front of a board of 12 to include all the elders, four representatives from Converge, our denomination where I was grilled on theological truths for an hour and a half to emerge finally as an ordained minister, along with James and Beth. And now Elizabeth and I have been called back to Minnesota, where I will continue my clinical pastoral education at United Hospital, ministering to the sick, the dying, the injured, and infirm. And as God leads us, start a ministry teaching others to do the same in our community. My name is Ian Olson, and I am loved by God and called to be a saint. (laughs) A reading from Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, Holy holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. So maybe you heard the story about the chicken and the pig who were walking down the road and they saw a sign that said, um, feed the poor. And the chicken turned to the pig and said, man, it's terrible that people are are hungry and in need and starving. We need to do something to help them. I got an idea. Let's give them a, a ham and egg breakfast. And the pig turned to the chicken and said, dude. You know that a ham and egg breakfast is a contribution for you. It's a total commitment for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, we're in this series called All Roads Lead to Romans, where we've been walking through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And for 11 chapters, Paul has given us essentially all doctrine. But beginning of chapter 12, he turns a corner and he he takes us into what our response needs to be to all that he's been laying out. He has held up a sign that has told us all that we need to know about the the love and the mercy of God in our lives. And now the question before us is, are we going to be chickens or pigs? Some people are saved by the mercy of God and they want to make a contribution. They, you know, want to show up at church, maybe write a check every now and then, maybe even get involved. But that's not what Paul says is the appropriate response to the grace and mercy of God. Paul says that our Christian life is not simply to be a contribution out of our abundance, but it is to be a total commitment where we die to ourselves. Now, for the past three weeks, we've looked at some pretty big chunks of Scripture. This morning, we're only going to look at two verses, the first two verses of Romans 12, which Ian read for us. And Paul begins by saying, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, when we see the word therefore, what do we ask? What's the therefore? Therefore. And this is the big therefore in the book of Romans. This therefore points us back to 11 chapters where Paul has been extolling the the mercies of God in our lives. And before he urges us to do anything, before he gives us any real command in this book or any prompting in this book, he says, before I ask you to do anything, I need you to see why I'm asking you. And so he gives us these 11 chapters, which began in verses 1, 2, and 3 with with the fact that we are without excuse. We are all sinners. We are all doomed. We are all under the wrath of God, and there's nothing that we can do about it. In In chapter 3, the wrath of God falls, but it doesn't fall on us. It falls on Jesus. And Jesus provides for us a righteousness through his sacrifice. He redeems us and he reconciles us to the Father. And then in chapter 4, he talks about the fact that righteousness has been credited to our deficient account. And we need nothing else because Jesus has done it all. Chapter 5, not only has he rescued us from sin, but he has rescued us to reign with him forever and forever. Chapter 6 and 7, he's given us a new nature that we can live out of. Chapter 8, he has adopted us into his family. We are adopted as sons and as daughters, and therefore there is now no condemnation, and there is no separation from his love. Chapters 9, 10, and 11, God's word has not failed. He will always be true to his promises, and we can rest secure in that. So he's given us all of these, this marvelous truth about who God is and what He's done for us, the mercy of God in His life. So, what can we say? What can we do? He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The Greek word here for offer is the word peristamia. And it means to set before, or to set beside, or to present. This is a call to present yourself to God, to, to place yourself at His disposal. And, and I don't want to get too heady on you, but this is in the aorist tense. Do you know what it means to be in the aorist tense? It means that it's decisive, it's a once and for all action. And so what Paul is saying here is that we are to come to a place in our lives where we truly recognize and appreciate God's mercy toward us, what God has done for us, and thus, at a specific time that we can identify, we place ourselves at God's disposal with the same kind of finality that an Israelite would have in placing an animal on an altar. You could ask a Jew, when did you make that sacrifice? And he could tell you a time and a place that he put that animal on the altar. And what Paul is saying is that if you have offered yourself to God, you should be able to, to make that same kind of, of um, specific identification that it was at this decisive time when I presented myself to God. Now, this, I'm not talking about faith, okay? That's something different. Now, some of us can say that at this time and at this place, I prayed and I put my faith in Jesus. Some of us can't. Some of us, faith is a journey. And at some point, you just come to the place where you go, you know what? I really believe this stuff. It's really changed me. And so some of us can't don't have a, a, a stake in the ground with, with regard to a time and place we came to faith because it was a journey for us. But there should be a time and place where you have said, I present myself to God and His will be done in my life. That's what Paul's saying. For me, it was my junior year in college. I was planning to go to med school and, you know, had all these plans, but, but God began tugging on me and, and convicting me and showing me his grace and his mercy and, and, and giving me opportunity to, to share that with other people. And, it, and, and I began feeling this tug toward occupational ministry. But whatever God's call, uh, whatever that call of God looks like, What I knew is I didn't want it. Because I wanted to be a doctor. And I wanted the posh, safe, suburban lifestyle with four kids and the Mercedes in the garage and the country club membership and all of that stuff. Yeah, I would go to church. And yes, I would serve in church. I would even be a deacon if they so wanted me to be. But all that stuff about the call of God on my life all I could see is that that meant that God wanted me to go to Africa and, you know, preach to the Maasai or something. And I wanted no part of that. But there came a decisive moment when I knelt beside my bed in College Station, Texas, and I said, God, if you want me to go to Africa, I'll go. If you want me to go to New York City, I'll go there too Um, because they're about the same thing. Uh, I will go where you want me to go. I will be who you want me to be. Lord, I present myself to you. Your will be done. I don't want to be a chicken. I want to be a pig. I'm all in. Friends, is there a point in your life when you can look back to that moment where you say, I presented myself to God there and then. And if you can't think of that time, then you probably have not done it. Now, I will also say that there have been subsequent moments in my life where I have um, resubmitted myself to God, if you will, for very specific things that I felt like God was calling me to, i.e., coming to New York i.e. going to Rwanda. I mean, there are some things where I've said, okay, Lord, I will do that. But it all goes back to that, that moment in college when I said, Lord, your will be done in my life. Have you done that? Have you come to that arrest moment where you have made that decision? Um, and this word "bodies" has the idea of everything that you are. I, as a husband, as a father, as a citizen, as, as a man, uh, everything I am, I give to God. It's not a contribution; it is a total commitment. This is is saying, "Lord, I'm all yours." It's kind of like being pregnant. Nobody's kind of pregnant, right? You either are, or you're not. You're either all in or you're not. This is giving your whole self to God. If you cannot think of a time when you have severed ties with your will and your agenda and your aspirations and you gave up, your, you gave up pursuit of your glory to the glory of God, then you probably have not offered your body as a living sacrifice. It is a decisive act. You remember what Paul said to the Galatians? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Paul said to the Philippians, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you done that? Have you come to the place where you recognize the mercy of God in your life and, that, and you are so grateful to Him that you offer yourself to Him that the life you live will not be your life, but it will be His life. And the will that you have will not be your will, but it is His will. You see, it's a decisive act. And, and did you notice it's also voluntary? Paul said, I urge you, brothers and sisters... Paul didn't say, I command you, I require of you, I demand that you. He said, I urge you. Why? Because you have to be willing. It has to be an act of volition where you recognize the mercy of God and say, I want to do that. It's important to to say that this is not some kind of attempt to pay God back for His mercy. You can't pay Him back. You can't begin to pay Him back. This is not, God scratched your back and so now you scratch God's. Friends, His arms are long enough. He can scratch wherever He needs to scratch. He doesn't need us to do that. But this is, in light of what He's done we say, I'm going to give you everything I am. Have you done that? Are you living that right now? Are you all in? Paul says we're to present our bodies. We're to present our everything to God as a living sacrifice because we are willing. Now, you've probably heard it said The problem with living sacrifices is they keep getting off the altar. Right? You've heard that? (laughs) Living sacrifices keep climbing off the altar. Why? Because it's easy to get pumped up for God when we come in here. We come in here and we sing songs and we raise our hands and, and we pray out loud and we greet one another and have this wonderful fellowship and we come to the table and we have this wonderful time and it's all good but then we have to walk down those steps and go out to 61st street and that's where it starts getting tough that's where we're faced with ethical decisions in the workplace That's when we're faced with standing up for the truth of God, when moral issues confront us and temptation is before us. That's when it gets tough. And that's when we want to crawl off the altar. You see, it's one thing to die for God, it's another thing to live for Him. So Paul keeps going. He says that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. What does it mean to be holy and pleasing? Let's talk about holy first. The Greek word is agios, and it means separate or set apart. To be a holy sacrifice does not mean that you're perfect. It does not mean that you get it right all of the time. What it means is that you are set apart by God. That you give yourself in recognition of the fact that God has set you apart. Do you remember what 1 Peter says? Peter said, you are. Not can be, should be, will be, might possibly, on a good day be. He said, no, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. You see, by the transforming work of Jesus Christ, you are holy. You are loved by God. You are secure in His grace. And because of that, We respond to him by laying ourselves before him as a sacrifice set apart holy. You see, we don't come to God in commitment because we are guilted into it or shamed into it by some, you know, preacher who loved to beat the sheep. You know, you've heard those guys. Um, If Jesus can give his all for you, then the least you can do is give your all for him right? How motivating is that? When I was in college, there was a a song that came out by a a Christian uh, artist uh, by the name of Keith Green, and I like Keith Green, but there was a song that said, Jesus rose from the dead, but you can't even get out of bed. (laughs) Okay, while that may be true, that is not motivating, right? That's not going to guilt me into doing anything. Friends, God never uses guilt. Guilt is a ploy of the evil one to, to shame us and, and to, to keep us down. God never uses guilt. God uses grace because when we see his grace in our lives, it, it, Empowers us, it inspires us, it motivates us. We become, we are holy sacrifices, yielding ourselves to God in response to His grace in our lives and who we are in Jesus. Now, question. Do you think a holy sacrifice is also a pleasing sacrifice? <laughs> I don't know, Keith, tell me. Um, well, think, think about this for a moment. Parents, imagine with me, and this will be a stretch, but, but imagine this. So you're, you're in your bedroom, and your child comes in and crawls up on the foot of your bed and looks at you and says mom dad i know that you gave me life and i know that you have provided for me everything that i need and and even almost everything that i've wanted and i know that you're older and wiser than i am And because of my recognition of all of these things, I submit myself totally to you and I will live my life in absolute obedience to your expressed will. How would that make you feel as a parent? Shocked. Shocked. You would fall off the bed. But then you would crawl back on the bed and you would go, this is the most awesome thing I've ever heard. You would be pleased. Right? Now, if your child came to you and made that declaration to you, would you then say, um, son, daughter, I'm going to treat you to trust me. You're going to do dishes every night from now until eternity. And I'm going to make you eat broccoli at every meal, and you will forever have an 8.30 bedtime. Would you do that? No. No. You would do everything that you can to help that child experience the fullness and abundance of life. Friends, that's what, what happens when we come to our Heavenly Father and we present ourselves as, as a living sacrifice. It is holy and pleasing to Him. And then He wants to give us life that is full. The most pleasing thing that we can do is kneel before our God and say, I know that you gave me life. You have given, you have provided me with everything I need and you are wise and you, your will is, is my will. I give you my all. Now follow me on this. When we recognize the mercy of God in our lives, when we come to the place where we truly appreciate what God has done, and that brings us to the place of presenting our bodies totally and unconditionally to God, which is thus holy and pleasing to Him. What is it that we have just done? We've worshiped. Paul says, "This is your true and proper worship," or as the Greek literally reads, "This is your logical service." The Greek word translated as "true and proper" is the word "logikos," uh, from which we get our word "logic." This is the big therefore of Romans. Given all that we've looked at before, the only logical response. To the mercy of God is to give our lives to Him in worship. The Greek word here for worship is the word latria, which literally refers to, to the service of God in the tabernacle. This is the work of the priest. So Paul is saying that the logical response, the reasonable response to the mercy of God is taking your life and laying it down In service of God. You know the songs. That we sing. The songs that we sing. In here on Sunday mornings. May or may not be worship. The prayers that we pray. May or may not be worship. The giving that we do. May or may not be worship. You see, it all depends on the heart with which those things are being done. Is your songs, are your songs an expression of your life? Is your prayer an expression of your life? Is your giving an expression of your life? You see, that's what's going to make it worship or not. Otherwise, it's just ritualistic burnt offerings. King David understood this. In Psalm 40, he wrote, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. You see, he understood that God didn't want animals, God wanted him. And so it doesn't matter what we do, it matters how we do it and for whom we do it. It's what Paul said to the to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10 and to the Colossians in Colossians 3. He said, "Whatever And someday I'm going to get a tattoo that says whatever. You can hold me to that. Someday I'm going to get the courage up and I'm going to go get a tattoo. Because that's my one-word mission statement. Whatever. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to, in the name of the Lord. Whatever we do needs to be worshipped. Whether we're singing or praying or giving or going to work or having conversations with friends or changing a baby's diaper, it all needs to be done into the glory of God. Whatever. That's what David is saying. You don't want bulls and goats. You want me. You want everything I am. And so here I am. My desire is to do your will. I'm all in. I'm going to follow what your word says. If you're attending church every Sunday, God bless you. But you need to understand that church attendance is not the ultimate intent of the cross. If you're singing with wonderful voice and you're filling this place with with great music, God bless you, and we're, we're thankful for you. But you need to understand that the ultimate intent of the cross is not you singing. If you're giving um, to the work of the ministry here, God bless you. Because that's right and that's biblical, and we're called to give. But our giving is not the ultimate intent of the cross. No, the intent of the cross is to overwhelm our hearts so that we recognize the love and the grace of God and we give our lives back to Him in worship in everything that we do. Do you know, my, do you know why my wife kisses me? Because she can't help herself. She saw the picture. She, you know, it's the, it's the guns that just... No, she can't help herself. Um, she looks at me, and her only logical response is to kiss my face. Okay, so even my wife is laughing at that. So that's not entirely true. (laughs) But I can't make her kiss me. I can't threaten her into kissing me. All I can really do is display for her my love for her and my service toward her, and hopefully she will be overwhelmed to the point that her only logical response is to throw her arms around me and kiss my face. Friends, that should be our response to the mercy of God. What should our commitment to God be? It should be a voluntary, decisive, total, holy, pleasing, logical, worshipful response to the cross of Jesus Christ. When I view the mercy of God, the only thing I can do is lay my life down before Him. So what does that look like? Well, that's what Paul's going to spend the rest of the book of Romans telling us. But in a nutshell, it's verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not, do not conform, but do be transformed. Be changed. Giving all of ourselves to Him to change all of our life. And that starts with saying no to the pattern of this world. We are to be different than the world. And that's not always easy, is it? There's incredible pressure on us to conform to how the world does things. But we're not to be conformed to that. We're to be transformed, we're to be different. So how can we be transformed? By the renewing of our minds which comes through the truth of God's word. When we immerse ourselves in the truth of God's word we can think and act differently from the world. We can stand out and operate from a different perspective than the world does. Now we're going to see in the rest of this book that Jesus' followers think and act differently than the world does. They just do. And so, my question to you this morning is, when you look around at the world around you, is there a marked difference between your life and everybody else's? Because if you look just like everybody else, if you think just like everybody else, if you're driven by the same things that drive everybody else, then my question to you is, are you really a Jesus follower? Because followers of Jesus think differently, and they act differently. They look differently. They are not conformed, but they are transformed. You see, we transform our minds by immersing ourselves in biblical truth. And that's how we reverse the curse Uh, that is on our minds that we learned about in chapter 1 where it says that God gave over sinful humanity to a depraved mind so that they did the things they should not do. But now in Christ, God is reprogramming our minds. He's renewing our minds so that we do the things we should do. And that's what this last sentence of verse 2 is getting at. When we are allowing God to change our thinking through biblical truth, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Friends, God does not have three wills a good will, a pleasing will, and a perfect will. He has one will that is good, pleasing, and perfect. All right? And where it says in the English, test and approve, That's one one Greek word. The the word is dochemozine. And the word doesn't mean that we test what God's will is and we approve it. What it means is, in context, that when we stop conforming to the pattern of the world and we start living according to biblical truth and offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, which, by the way, is the will of God... When we start doing that, then we see that it is, in fact, good, pleasing, and perfect. As you give your whole self to God, He will help you understand more and more what He wants to do and give you the grace to carry it out. You see, the more we immerse ourselves in the Scripture, we, the more we know the mind of God, and the more we are able to act on that in the situations of life. That's what Paul's telling us. You say, well, Keith, but I've got so much I want to do in this life. I've got so much that I want to achieve. Let me just say this. I have met with and counseled with so many people who have done it all and achieved it all. And yet they come into my office in a state of despair because when they got to the top of the ladder, they found that it was leaning against the wrong building they are empty. Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his very self? You and I were created for the glory of God. And until we step into that thing that we have been created for, we will continue to come up empty. But when you start living your life as a living sacrifice, when you start living your life unto the glory of God, that's when, as you heard Ian talk about in his des- testimony, that's when you start saying, I was made for this. That's where real life comes from. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You say, well, isn't it scary laying your life on the altar for God to do with as He pleases? Yeah, sometimes it is. But can I also say there is no better place to be? Therefore... I urge you, in view of God's mercy, don't let fear keep you from offering yourself as a living sacrifice. Don't be a chicken. Be a pig. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray that today might be the day that someone in this room would say, today, today, I'm going to present myself. If there are people here who who can't look back on on a time and a place in their life where they made the decisive decision, that they were going to offer themselves fully to you. I pray that today might be the day That they might be able to say at Trinity Baptist Church on that Sunday on Memorial Weekend in 2016, I put my life on the altar. But today, us to be a people who are living lives of worship in everything that we do. Not just in here on Sunday morning, but out on 61st Street. And I pray, Lord, that today on this Memorial Weekend as we as we recognize the sacrifice that men and women have made over the decades to secure for us the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would recognize the sacrifice that you made that secured for us the greatest life, the greatest liberty, the greatest... table this morning, remind us, may it be a memorial for us, as Paul said, that we would remember you until you come again. We pray this for your name's sake.